Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Circling the Bases. My name is Chris Crawford. Thanks for joining us today. Should be a fun one. Right around the All-Star break. It's getting fun. My Mariners are competing. I'm going to call them my Mariners because they're actually good for once. And I'm actually going to ask my guest about one of their players who hasn't been so good. But uh, that's just a little bit of whatever that word is supposed to be. Let me bring up my guest. You have read his writing and seen his face in a variety of places. He currently covers prospects in the draft for the ESPN. Please welcome Kylie McDaniel. Kylie, how's it going? Shouts to the CEO, Baby Yoda. <laughs> yeah. That was like being in Atlanta when you played that intro music. I don't know if that's like if that everyone else could hear that. I wanted to throw some ad libs on it, like, but I was like, I I don't sound like the Migos, so like it wasn't appropriate. But I had the inclination to do it. Oh well, you know, it's uh, that'll be something for the Patreon if we ever do a Patreon. Um, Kylie, last time I asked you a really important question about St. Louis pizza, and you didn't have a. Nobody's actually had a really great answer about St. Louis pizza, but I've asked my last two guests this very important question as well. Uh, David Roth and Andrew Stoughton have both agreed so far with this theory. We'll see if you do too. Is Jurassic Park a horror movie? Oh, I thought it was going to be food related. I was winding mm-hmm. up for that. I know. I'm um, sorry. I think it depends on your definition of horror, which is like not an answer anyone wants, but okay. uh, I take a broader definition of that because I'm not a horror movie person. Like when mm-hmm. you get into like the sort of saws and the Eli Roth area, it's not for me at all. So I have a broad definition that I can throw stuff into and I, and I go on the fringes, which I think is more the Jurassic Park uh, fringy area or, you know, like get out, which I think most people call thriller, but not horror. But like, yes. it's, it feels like horror to me because I don't want to mm-hmm. go much further than that. <laughs> Okay, that's <laughs> it's it's what we what we like to call get out by the way, and it's a um, it's it's good stuff. But they call it elevated horror, which I think is really insulting to like other horror movies. It's like yeah, uh, elevated is not a word you <laughs> want to throw on. Uh, yeah, it, it just makes it means the other stuff in your opinion is crap. If you're calling, have you learned over the years when everyone had like highbrow taste and thought Guy Fieri was dumb, and now we've realized. He- <laughs> thing we can all agree on it's like let's just stop like at some point i don't want to believe this but i think nickelback's gonna come around and people are gonna appreciate like all the punchlines. is scott staff gonna be the only person that everyone agrees is like unlikable like i don't know but i'm like hesitant to do stuff like that because you know i there's low brow things i like so they don't seem low brow to me or maybe i'm just low brow i don't know it's it's hard to distinguish where where the where the endpoints are here 
the last two Adam Sandler movies have been extremely critically acclaimed. So, I mean, except, well, there was, Hubie, there was, he, there was Hubie Halloween in between those, which I don't think was quite. Yeah. But yeah, I think I personally think Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park is a horror movie just because of the beats and like the formula. And there's some really scary jump scares in that movie, especially when, for lack of a better term, Newman gets killed by that dinosaur. That still is a scene that I have to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it, it to me to me it just has the beats of it well, let's talk about baseball i yeah, guess yeah, hold on I, before before we transition to baseball sure you know, i'm not trying to go there too soon i haven't seen it in a while you know jurassic park so uh-huh. put a button on that so it's not familiar in my mind uh i'm looking on i have my other screen right here so i keep looking off screen at the st louis mm-hmm. pizza and what this jogs for me is there is a detroit pizza style place in atlanta Oh, to go to. And I was sitting there with uh, Alden Gonzalez, who was in town for the Freddie Freeman, Atlanta, you know, all that stuff. And we so we went there and they have like all, you know, like four different styles of pizza there. But they're like, we're known for the Detroit. So we got it. And after like two or three bites, we got like, you know, the big pie. We both take three, four slices. It's like, the, you know, the square, the deep, the whole deal. And like we both finish an entire piece, grab a second piece. And then I look at him like, this is really good, right? He's like, I was just about to say that. Like, I didn't want to believe this would be good. I thought just a different style of a thing that's not quite as good. Uh, there's a place in Atlanta called uh, Nina and Rafi's. It's on the Belt Line. If you're in Atlanta, okay. holy cow, was that good. Oh, and boy. We got the, the sort of sweet heat. It has, like, the hot peppers and the hot honey and pepperoni. Okay. Ooh, and, that sounds good. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna send you some links so you can see it. But, yeah, if you're in Atlanta, go on the Belt Line and go find that place. And they also have really good beer. So, yeah, yeah. it was an excellent experience. And you say St. Louis Pizza, and I'm like, nah, Detroit. I'm out of here. Can you quickly describe what the Detroit style of pizza is? Yeah, so I think it makes sense that it's near Chicago because it is a deeper dish, but mm-hmm. think like extremely deep dish, but start with, start with your New York style, make it like four times as deep. And then the outside of it, what I believe is before they put the crust in the deep pan, they put a bunch of cheese on the outside. Okay. So like caramelized burned cheese around the outside. And then a mm-hmm. very thick, like as thick, as thick as a pizza hut pizza has ever been. It's like that and square with that caramelized burnt cheese around the outside. And then they kind of pile on the toppings too. So it's a pretty formidable, it's a, you're getting like a chunk of like, you know, double thick ciabatta. That sounds good. I, I, whenever I've seen it described or heard it described, I should say, I've always thought of like French bread pizza. You know what I mean? Like that, that's the type of style of what your pizza or something that, you know, like an elevated, uh, there's that word again, style of what you might get from like your middle school pizza, you know, that, that, that square, um, efficient version, but I think it sounds good. Like uh, uh, compared to like St. Louis pizza, and I'm sorry again for bringing this up, it, the Provel cheese and the cracker crust just sounds so disgusting to me. That's but I am characteristics. I'm just looking at photos. I didn't know that's what was on there. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Pro Provel cheese, and uh, anytime your cheese is basically a concoction, I'm going to say hard pass all right now let's talk about some baseball and I'm, I'm sure pizza sorry thank you thank you very much i appreciate that kylie we saw a ton of rookies start the year on mlb rosters like a ton like believe of my top 100 fantasy prospects something like 18 or 19 guys were on mlb rosters to begin the year you are a guy you're you're mr connected you are uh, okay. a person who has a lot of um you know, the, the phones, you're the woge bomb of prospect people, in my personal opinion, and you're going to take that as a compliment. I literally have two phones. Okay. <laughs> you need two phones, like my friend Kevin Gates. That is going to be a deep drop for somebody will understand that reference. Oh, and okay. that is Okay, thank you. 
do you think how much of this do you think was because this is going to be something that we're going to have to pay attention to going forward how much of this was the new rules put together by the cba the the fact that a lot of these players were happened to be at the high level so was this a perfect storm of those guys being ready the new rules a combo of both if you had to say one more than the other what would you say I think it was, if we're talking just opening day, the rules definitely affected that. Um, sure. I think that as much as we thought that was like a problem that couldn't be solved, uh, I think they did a decent enough job. I think teams are still going to do that. You're still going to see some Chris Bryant, Ronald Acuna Jr., like where the stakes are high enough and the team is, I don't know, incentivized enough to do the thing that we don't want them to do. It's also still like two weeks. Like it, it's not cheating the fans as much as it's cheating the player, but that seems to be happening less. And so, yeah, I think that happened. I think we also, because I like pinpointed it when I was doing my list uh, in the offseason. Where I was like, oh, it's like, I think I actually tweeted about it. I'll have to go back and look after we're done here. But I think I pointed out, like, half of my top 25 is, like, either going to start in AAA or the big league. It was something like that. Where we're just like, oh, we just have, like, a weird occurrence where there are a bunch of dudes that didn't quite make it last year or got manipulated last year and are, like, uh, due for a spot to start this year. And then I actually wrote something that was not scheduled about who is the best prospect currently in the minors, like, a month ago. Mm-hmm. You noticed, I think it was at that point, I think it was like 10 of my top 20, like were either had graduated or were in the big leagues. And sure. So it was like, all right, I guess we'll start at like number eight in the offseason list. It's probably just number one right now. And my editor's like, that's an article. Like, no one is, no one's doing the math this quickly that, like, you know, Francisco Alvarez goes from eight to one and like Volpe goes from, you know, six to two or, you know, whatever it was. Like, people aren't doing that math inherently. And, and you know, and then O'Neill Cruz and Riley Green were about to go up but hadn't gone up yet. And, you know, uh, Corbin Carroll had the big breakthrough. Anyway. To answer your question, I think it was for the the big opening day stuff specifically, the rules affected it. And for a bunch of rookies in the first month in general, I think was, uh, you know, I don't love the term perfect storm, but it, a lot of things came together for a rare occurrence, if, if you'd like to be sure. think about it. Do you like the movie Perfect Storm with George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg? I have not seen it. It's okay. Yeah, it's fine. I, I've never had anyone around the table and tell me I needed to see it, so I just never got to it. There are some really cool special effects. That movie came out when I was working in a movie theater, and a lot of people had to leave, I think, because motion sickness. So that was a lot of fun, too. If I'm not mistaken, one of the best special effects was all the accents, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Now, That's Mark... The movie. It's like notable yeah. the accents. Mark was really, really digging his Boston at that point. There is no doubt about that, but... Uh, the Mark Wahlberg George was in that one. Uh, I call him George. We're uh, we're pretty good friends. I also Bob, call him. Yeah, there's a couple familiar names. Yeah, Bob, absolutely. Bob yeah. <laughs> yeah, me and me and Bobby sometimes will hang out and talk about prospects sometime. So a lot of these prospects who have been called up have been pretty successful. I think you've seen what Julio Rodriguez has done, especially after uh, called Strike Gate was such an issue for him at the beginning of the year. Bobby Jr. It was very weird. And it was, you know, twice. I'm like, ah, it's a rookie. They're hazy. Yeah. It's fine. It was like, I was like six times, didn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. And it was, it was, what was funny was I was actually surprised that he wasn't the guy. I think it was like Trevor story who had more third called third strikes that were not called third strikes, but it was, it was, it was very obvious to me just cause I'm going to be watching those games with grandma and stuff like that. But after, Becoming a little more assertive at the plate, things have gone really well for him. Bobby Wood Jr. is obviously looking more comfortable at the plate. I want to talk to you about a guy that I believe we were both pretty high on. I could be wrong. This is a guy who also plays with Julio Rodriguez, and his name is Jared Kelnick. And 
as a major league baseball player, this guy has been borderline a disaster, uh, much better defense and right field. That is the positive that we can take from there. But the offense has just been so basically abhorrent. Kylie, what, what does the league think about Jared Kelnick at this point? And do you still have any hope for this guy to reach the ceiling of what we thought he was as a prospect coming into 2021? So the, the guys that are hardest for me to have a strong opinion on, on are guys that answered every question all the way to AAA. Right. Doesn't work in the big leagues. And then they're just yo-yoing back and forth. And if they're on a good team, they like don't get to play. They come up when the guys hurt. They're not very good for a week. They get sent back down. And then it's just like, well, now you're just screwing with his head. Like, it's not like he's going to get any better in this situation or solve any of the problems. No. He's trying to not get benched and sit down. He's not trying to succeed or settle in. And I feel like, I don't know, there's like a handful of these guys every year. And sometimes it's like Lewis Brenson, where it's like, he is so physically talented, he's going to demolish AAA. And he's so physically talented, he's not going to learn lessons in AAA. He has to learn them in the big leagues. But then after three or four years of getting yo-yoed around, whether he's going to figure it out or not, he's not going to do it in the way he's being used. Then he's all of a sudden he's out of options, and it's just like, all right, career over. Could right. it have worked in some scenario? Maybe. I don't know. Obviously, we all thought it would at some point. Uh, and there, I don't remember, like, the first guy I had this issue with was Hank Blaylock, who, like, came up and was like, all right, Mike swing and miss, but look at more runs. And he swung and missed a lot. Yeah. He ended up being, like, okay. Like, usually they end up being a diminished version of what the expectation was. But a lot of times, even if it's, like, you know, Nelson Cruz, Carlos Pena, like, they hit waivers multiple times and, you know, year six. Or, like, Aramis Ramirez gets tons of playing time but isn't actually good until, like, his fifth year in the big leagues. They usually become something when they're that good in AAA and that talented and that touted, that young, all that kind of thing. And so I found uh, this year, I'm doing a similar thing with the draft, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep on this Kelnick topic. In general, when there are a bunch of players uh, on you know, prospect list and whatnot, I think, I'm thinking specifically of like Juan Soto, who's in the middle of the top 100 after he'd barely even played full season ball. And then he gets promoted to like low A, high A, then like double A, then like the big leagues, like all at once. And I think all the prospect people were scrambling because they're like, all right, he's obviously better than 50th or wherever we had him when the season started. That was a pretty aggressive ranking that almost all of us had the same answer going into the year. And it was all based on essentially like hype and backfields and short season stuff. Like it's right. as aggressive as you could be. And then it was like, well, can a month of games in low A make me take him and put him at seventh on the top 100? In retrospect, yes, that should have been when you hit the gas and really moved him. And so the thing I've done is when there's a guy that I like and my, my scouting report going into the year is some version of if he performs, then he'll move up. Like a guy that checks all the boxes, but you need some information. Francisco Alvarez, great example. I think I rated him like 90th on some top 100. I was like, if he hits, oh boy. And then he was hitting in midseason. I was like, let's just put him 20. Like I said, sure. this do when he did it, what, like, what are we doing here? And sometimes you'll miss doing that. So as that one side of or the yin to the yang or whatever it is, when the guy checks the boxes and you need him to perform and then he performs, be a little more aggressive. Like start moving him up 50 spots on the top 100 or whatever you need to do. On the flip side of that, when a guy, the guy that I was just talking about, the does it all the way up to AAA, they go to the big leagues, can't quite get it, I am much slower to move that guy down because he's done literally everything. <laughs> right. The last thing. So I should be very slow to move him down because he's answered all those questions and then we just have a little bit of a blip at the end. And I'll lower my expectations. I don't think it's going to be an all-star anymore. Is it more two to three win guy as opposed to three to five one guy? Yes, I think that's my expectation now. But if your question is, is Jared Kalnick, is he ever going to be an everyday player for even one season of his career? The answer is yes. How many, how good, don't know. But it seems insane that after uh, 123 games, we're like, well, let's forget the last six years we have with Jared Kalnick. He's done. Like, that's <laughs> pretty reactionary and dumb but I, I like to have like an overarching like sort of construct to think about it and i think it is the one soto and a ball 
hit the gas. And yeah. Jared Kelnick and, and the big leagues not hitting. Like, let's slowly go down that hill. Not too fast. Yeah. I, I'm still, just because it's impossible for me to give up on the version that I saw pre-2021. By the way, it is worth pointing out that in Tacoma so far, in 42 games for Kelnick, he's hit 298, 359, 607 to do the, the Simpsons things. That's good. He also struck out 51 times in 195 plate appearances. That's bad. So there is, I mean, there is still, I think, long-term hope for this guy. If you're playing in a deeper dynasty league, I'm still out holding out hope. I do wonder if he needs maybe a, a revamped type of swing thing. We have seen that happen with players before, but that's going to be a, like a couple of years before you see him live up to the hype. I want to talk to you about this guy before we start talking about the MLB draft, and I do an amazing ad read. Because this guy, to say he was off my radar, is the understatement of understatements. And his name is Asturi Ruiz. So I'm just going to read the minor league numbers for people who are not familiar with this guy. In 77 games in the minor leagues, he hit 333, 467, 560, 13 home runs, 46 RBI. I'm going to bring up the RBI just because I wanted to lead one more thing into the fact that he has stolen 60 bases in 77 games. Kylie, this was a guy that I basically forgot about after he got traded from Kansas City to San Diego because, you know, my my mind, one fact goes in, another goes out. Asturi Ruiz was replaced by, like, how I turn on my air fryer. Like that. (laughs) Now, I have to ask you, as somebody who may not have seen Asturi Ruiz live, but as someone who is certainly talking to people, how legitimate is what Asturi Ruiz, what he was doing in the minor leagues, how legitimate is this? Well, the first thing I would say to comment on what you said is I'm, I believe the correct uh, term is RSBI. And, uh, <laughs> Thank you. you it that way. I'd love to hear David Roth's opinion on that, actually. He was uh, on the last one. And we, I, I'm working on the time machine. I'll ask him the next time. So, yeah, he was a guy – I'm not positive I've ever seen him in person. Uh, but he was a guy that, like, had some buzz with Kansas City right as San Diego traded for him, which gave people some vibes of Fernando Tuckies Jr., who had, like, buzz that he was breaking out, playing essentially behind closed doors, not in official minor league games, who then got traded to San Diego because A.J. Preller, like, literally goes and watches these, like, uh, extended spring games and trades for guys when he likes somebody. And this was almost that exact same thing. And then I'm looking at his uh, Fangraphs page. So he had an over 200 ISO and then in a short stint over 300 ISO in rookie ball for Kansas City when they got him. The next couple of years, his ISO goes down to 175, then 150, then 118. Then he becomes, uh, and then missed the 2020 season because of the pandemic. And then he becomes Rule 5 eligible of the Rule 5 that never happened. Because somebody asked me about him a couple weeks ago, like, hey, was I wrong? Is he a guy? I'm like, no, nobody, including the Padres. They didn't think he was a guy either. <laughs> They're on the on the record as saying, yeah, you can take him for 100K. Uh, <laughs> and nobody did. And I've had a couple people in the industry like ask me about him in the last like month or so. And the answer is some version of like, didn't see this coming, but like every now and then, like there's like a, you know, Shane Victorino rule five where you're like, I didn't think that guy was any good. And I was right. Sure. And then he became a guy. So I guess now retroactively I'm wrong every now and then like just a wild <laughs> thing happens. And yeah, that, like the, the power seems to be good enough to make everything work. The contact has always been pretty good, but it's gotten better. The walks are there. The speed is at least a 70. Obviously the steals, you know, suggest that. And I was right. in two leagues and you're just sort of like, okay, like, is this, Again, going to like back to the Juan Soto thing. Like, all right, this guy was, you know, sort of nobody. And then we've had some signs early in this year, like, oh, this is back to that guy that we thought he was in 2017 when he got traded. 
And then the numbers are so good. You're just like, if some random dude I'd never heard of and had no history with was doing this, I'd be like, sure. well, be on the prospect list. Like he's a, you know, a 45 using sort of my future value parlance at least. And I think that's probably what he is right now. Um, but yeah, he was essentially like off every prospect list at the, maybe at the very end because San Diego's not that deep. But yeah, I, th- I think he's for real because you can't look at these numbers and say, that, and he's in the big leagues right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> a team that's like pretty good at eyeball scouting and promoting guys and, finding rules and whatnot. It's like, no, he has to be for real. Again, going back to Kelnick, like the question is, is this like a one and a half to two and a half win, like pretty good guy that steals a ton of bases, goes all over the place. And he's more of a fantasy guy than a real life guy. Right. It's like, is this like a, you know, a step up? Is it, you know, like a pro far or this year's Jorge Mateo? Is it like that kind of guy where he's like a little bit better or he's going to have one of those Matt Duffy seasons where he says like a five win season and then he kind of sucks the next year. Like, I don't know. Everything's on the table at this point. I mean, like, again, just completely was not a guy that I was paying any attention to. By the way, I'm taking a look at his uh, numbers in the uh, Winter League. Hit 163, 196, 209 in 46 plate appearances. So it wasn't a case of where he got hot in the winter and then improved uh, over the summer. Yeah, this is something I, I'm just telling you guys right now in, in fantasy leagues, If unless you're playing in a super, super shallow 18, three outfielder type of thing, you need to go get him because he's going to help you in at least one category. He did get caught stolen in his first attempt, but I think that he's going to be good enough in the average category. I don't expect him to hit for a ton of power uh, at, at the highest level, just based on what I've looked like in the, in the swing stuff. But I think he could be a slugging percentage guy, a guy who could put the ball into the gaps and stuff like that. And then one more thing I wanted to ask you about before we get into the draft, a Jack lighter. Uh, what, how, what, what's going on here, Kylie? Because I think a lot of people were awfully excited. And yes, we are just talking about the stats, but the stats are atrocious. Have you heard anything here about what's going on with Jack Leiter? So this doesn't always, I mean, we're doing a lot of prep this week for, and I guess the last couple of weeks for the, the ESPN broadcast draft and sure. doing, like, doing like the, you know, the 30 second breakdown of like pulling all the video off my hard drive and pulling some stuff off the internet and putting it together and being like, all right, this is like the short answer. Like Elijah Green is this and he's got mm-hmm. these kind of tools and he could be this kind of guy and let's see. And for Jack Leiter, it's, well, you know, this guy, he's related to Al Leiter. <laughs> like, look at him at Randy. Look at the stuff. Look, you know, 98, breaking ball. And, like, in for casual fans, like, you don't know that, like, the vertical arm slot and down the mound and flat VAA and, like, high spin rate, like, all that stuff's good, too. And we didn't have time because there were so many good things. And, like, you know, you're excited about the guy. We didn't have time yeah. to get to it. If it doesn't work, here's why. Then yeah. This is, like, totally irrelevant. It's, like, it was the highest drafted pitcher we've had, you know, in a couple of years. So you sure. didn't get to, well, it's in high school, there was some concerns about command. I think even his freshman year, it was just, okay, you'd scatter a little bit. Never right. completely answered that. It was still kind of fringy command, but like fringy in college is still pretty good. The type of pitcher he is, if the command is a little more fringy, he's throwing four seamers up in the zone. Like that is the pitch you throw if you want to give up home runs. And if you're not commanding it well and mixing pitches and you have disciplined hitters at a level you haven't been to before, they're going to hit home runs. Um, and, you know, ball's a little bit different. Et cetera, et cetera. So, like, if you ask me, like, hey, let's say he has a disaster of a season, what would happen? I'd be like, oh, he's like walking four and a half per nine and giving up a home run and a half per nine innings. And go look at those numbers. Like, oh, it's over one home run per nine and 5.4 walks per nine. It's like, okay. It's like, I actually hadn't looked at it before I said that. I was hoping those numbers were close. <laughs> uh, and a really low ground ball rate because just like everything's in the air. I mean, also, like, the strike zone, like, from bandy to double A, really different. Like, what yeah. you're seeing at, really different. 
So, like, he can be all the stuff we thought he was. This is what bad would look like. And it's been, what, 13 starts? It still hasn't been that much time. No. Like, this is what it's going to look like until he sort of dials it in. And I think some people thought he would immediately dial it in and, like, have Cy Young votes a year from now, which is, like, always unrealistic. But this is the thing that isn't said when people say, oh, pitchers scare me. Or, like, oh, there's attrition and, like, risk and whatever. And you look at Jack Leiter and Kamar Rocker, like, how could this go wrong? And, like, obviously the Kamar Rocker thing went a little sideways last year and might still work out. But, like, the Jack Leiter thing, like, this is the thing, the attrition of, you know, oh, he's not, like, hurt. He's not a different guy. He didn't lose all his velocity. Like, it's not wildly different. It's just sometimes it doesn't work. And with pitchers, this kind of thing happens a little more than it does with hitters. Yeah. It's just a case of if you're ever expecting a pitcher to be a fast-track guy, you're you're, you're, you're parking up the wrong tree, my friends, because these things happen. And like you said, the command has been, especially the control, 30, 30 walks in 50 innings, has given up six home runs. I think what he's doing is he's just waiting to get really good when his first Bowman Auto comes out this summer. That, that That's what I'm thinking. He's still not having one? No, he is a guy fairly famously in, in the card market. He is uh, not someone who came out uh, in Bowman Draft, and he didn't come out in 2020 to Bowman. So we're hoping Bowman Chrome for that first Bowman Auto. It's very rare yeah. that a prospect that high profile doesn't have a, a first Bowman Auto. We just c- enough to know that that's weird, because you, you think you <laughs> the guy you put on the cover of the box to be like, you know yes. this guy. Yeah, so I'll tell you this. One thing that they have been doing, Tops, is they've been – kind of holding back prospects a little bit from uh, Bowman draft into Bowman baseball. Like they did that with Khalil Watson because they didn't want to just completely load the product with all of these guys. You know what I'm saying? They, they, you hold, you're held off with Jordan Lawler and Marcelo Meyer and this guy and, and those type of guys. And then you have the Khalil Watson because you want the guy, people to buy the 2022 product. But uh, yeah, Jack Leiter, I think long-term you're still looking at a pretty darn good pitcher, but there is some work to be done. Uh, weekends are better with MLB Sunday leadoff coverage presented by Uber Eats. Catch the Royals take on the Blue Jays in Toronto on Sunday, July 17th at 11.30 a.m. Eastern, live on NBC and Peacock. To learn more, go to PeacockTV.com MLB. And if you want a chance to win $25,000 on the game, download the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet and enter Sunday's free Grand Slam Pick'em Contest. Oh, by the way, Kylie... Um, you're going to have to play for the Royals because 10 of their players are unvaccinated and will not be able to make the trip. Uh, more of a corner infield profile. Uh, Jeff Passive made that joke to me two days ago, and I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> when I, got the today, I was like, that's what he was talking about. I forgot to circle back and ask him what he was talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, that is a, a real bad situation. And speaking of Toronto, I, I think we got to talk about this a little bit. Charlie Montoyo fired today. Do you have any thoughts on that? I'm as confused as everybody else. I obviously like that's not necessarily my beat, like the the weekly. Sure. But I got multiple texts from scouts that are also like knee deep in the draft, like, "Hey, what's going on over there?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I was hoping you knew what was going on." Over there. <laughs> my buddy Ryan Divish had uh, some tweets that, even though he's not a Toronto Blue Jay reporter, that the clubhouse was basically lost there, and with how poorly they've been playing, that's a combination for not good and John Schneider taking over as interim manager. I imagine that will be a job a lot of people want in the off season, but Where am I at in the ring? That seems yeah, to be a fun place to go. If you're looking for, no, I don't want to work. I don't want to work with you anyway. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney world? Like, Hey, we came to play. Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially step up like a boss and save the day 
or see what life's like under the tree of life. Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let's talk MLB draft. Well, I guess Check you're on the coach list. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna, I, I, I'm questioning whether I want to start with the positive or the negative. Let's start with the positive. Drew Jones. I. Positive. Yeah, that is a positive. Uh, a guy that I believe is pretty much unanimously considered the top prospect in this class. One, is he your top prospect in your class? And two, let's assume that he is, or even if he isn't. Where does Drew Jones rank compared to other top prospects in the last few classes? So I was prepared for a different question, and I'm now looking at the agenda you sent me, and I just invented a different question in my head. Oh, cool. <laughs> cool. But it also is answered by content that is behind the ESPN uh, Plus paywall, which okay. is where, where would he rank on a top 100 immediately when he signs? Which, because I was so fascinated by this question, I spent two whole days when I was supposed to be doing something else and reading <laughs> the top 100, <laughs> which is more work than you think it is. And then luckily, one of the TV guys said, hey, we need your updated farm rankings to put down the side oh. of the screen. And I was like, thank God I just did this. You're welcome. You're so I actually very, have to I don't want to put like the preseason ones on there. Like everybody no. Uh, sure. Anyway, so Drew Jones would rank 24th on my top 100, and then Tamar Johnson 30th, Jackson Holiday 36th. So okay. just a dozen slots from top to bottom of that one through three, and then okay. next to Kevin Parada at 77, and then like a bunch of dudes, like I think I have five guys from Parada to the uh, 120, which is the end of my 50 future value tier, four through eight uh, from 77 to 120. Uh, so okay. it's you know pretty mixed up at that point after those three. So I have those three pretty clearly separated from the rest of the group. I have Drew Jones clearly ahead of them, but it's still six spots. And I feel like, I don't know, six weeks into next season, I could flip those guys. There might be enough information to flip those guys. So all that to say, I think he's the best guy this year. I think he's the best guy this year by a decent margin, but not like a crazy margin. Sure. I think he is a better prospect than Torkelson, uh, who was the consensus best guy in 2020. Looking at twenty one, and I had I guess Law, I had Lawler. Most people had Meyer. Obviously, Davis went first. Jack Leiter, you know, probably gonna win the Cyan this year. Uh, <laughs> I think he is better than all those guys, but I think him versus Meyer Lawler, if we're just doing at draft time, I think it's pretty close. I think those guys yeah. are in the same tier. I think going back to twenty nineteen with Rutschman and Witt, I think he's probably a little better than Witt as a draft prospect, but obviously Witt took a step forward in pro ball. Rutschman, I think that's probably where it gets to be about 50-50 if you ask people in the industry, because I was I wrote it at the beginning of the spring. There are some people that think Drew is the best guy since Bryce Harper. Like wow. they go all the way back there. I would not go there. I would say 
Witt. I would even kind of throw in Riley Green, C.J. Abrams, who I think some people thought should have gone second or third that year. I think the Rutschman, Witt, Green, Abrams, Marcelo Meyer, uh, I think throw those guys in a group, and I think he's like in the thick of it. So I think he's, you know, best in probably a couple years, but not necessarily, you know, completely precedent setting once in a decade. He's not that guy, but he's certainly in that conversation. Uh, when you sort of look back 10 years, he's, he's one of the guys you'll bring up. To, uh, to quote uh, Andy Samberg as Nicolas Cage, that's high praise. I mean, th- that is a, a a pretty high ranking. I will say this. Now, keep in mind that my list is much more fantasy-oriented. Andrew J- or Drew Jones is going to rank really, really high on my list, like exceedingly high, because I think the fact that he's going to be able to provide help in five categories is going to be something that you really can't underrate from the fantasy perspective. I noticed, I believe you had Tremar Johnson over Jackson Holiday when talking about that. I don't want to go too far. I, I don't want you to spoil your, uh, get your paper with your online subscription stuff. But I will ask, what do you think the difference between those two players is for you? Well, I mean, they're like totally different as players. Uh, right. Their quality of play, play yes. Uh, right. So for me, Drew Jones, like the reason he's won is because there is a 10 to 15% chance that he is that uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., Acuna, like that level of one of the best players in baseball in the big leagues of 21-22. Like that's on the table. That's not on the table for anyone else, I guess, other than Elijah Green, but that's a, a whole different can of worms. Right. So like, he is, that Drew Jones is, relative to his peers, above average at everything and could be that guy. That's why he's number one. Now, if he doesn't get that high, if he is merely, you know, if he gets into that Kelnick discussion where it's like, oh, he makes the big leagues. Let's say he doesn't have the struggles, but he's just like, you know, a two to three win player has one four win season. And then is, you know, otherwise just like a perfectly good guy, maybe even like Buxton, where he's like, he's good, but he's hurt a little bit. Doesn't quite get to where you want him to in his early 20s. Now, if Tamar Johnson shoots the moon, hits his top 10 to 15 percent percentile projection. Right. You're talking Jose Ramirez, Rafael Devers. It's a sort of more compact, not like an NFL combine body, more of a baseball body. Will be quick moving, and it is one scout compared like what he does uh, in sort of his posture and his hands to Mo Vaughn, which I think there's like some similarities there. It is. I was waiting all summer. I watched him. I don't know, play like seven games at least on the summer, and I was watching his hand move in the first game. If you go uh, look at my tweets, I put up a video of him hitting a home run. It was the first time I saw him all summer. And it was an exaggerated, like, one of these guys. And I was like, oh, he can't do that also. Like, he's going to get pulled <laughs> on his hands. I go to East Coast Pro, watch him play four games there. And the second video I put, the slow-mo that's in that clip that's uh, in my tweets the last couple days, I put those back-to-back because the home run in full motion is the giant move. And then, you know, that flip and the whole thing. And you're like, all right, that's a softball swing. He can't do that. And then the slow-mo is 93 on his hands that he actually got around too quickly on, hit a home run foul. And the hand move goes from this, this is just for the video people, to a totally normal, just looks like Raphael Devers' current swing. And I was like, oh, he's like changing the swing based on the pitch. He's like trying to (laughs) get time, waiting for 85 to come up here. And then when 95's come in, like he just, you know, gets right to it. I was like, oh, this guy is exceedingly special. Like he's already doing a thing that like, you know, some guys learn in the big leagues. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, he is a special hitter, plus hit, plus power, plays second base. Uh, perfectly fine athlete, but he's not going to you know, blow you up in that way. But he's also like, I don't know, 5'10", 200 pounds right now. It's just, it's, it's, it's a totally different kind of guy. Uh, but his top 10 to 15 percentile outcome is like also MVP votes. Uh, right. He also, if uh, if you want to go back the last couple of years, like when CJ Abrams was a junior and all the scouts in Georgia were telling me like, hey, this is a guy, you can go see him now. You're going to build some history with this guy. And after he got drafted, I'm like, who's the next guy? 
and they were like, oh, there's two kids, best pure hitters I've ever seen. It was Tamar Johnson and Cam Collier. Mm. Uh, and so, like, when, and the funny thing is, when he was 14, people thought Tamar was going to look physically like C.J. Abrams. Like, that's how early it was. People are identifying him, and obviously he looks nothing like C.J. Abrams now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, like, when there's, when there's, like, track record going back to 14 years old, like, playing in, like, events that, like, scouts are at, which Drew Jones also has, it's like, okay, when it also looks right and the numbers are right and he's performing and it goes back that far and it's a hitter and it's up the middle, it's just like, guys, what are we doing here? Like, these are, like, pretty unprecedented in terms of like the exact things they do. There's not a lot of other guys like that. So let's get into the negative. Uh, Kylie, is this the worst college pitching class or the worst college pitching class, or is it the worst college pitching class? Ooh, let's bring it back. Visions of the Jack Leiter conversation. So <laughs> the, the answer I have for this is this actually wasn't going to be the worst college pitching class. I think it was going to be a pretty normal one. I think the two guys that would have gone between picks five and 15 that we would be excited about would be Connor Prelip, who missed the whole season with Tommy John and is just coming back, didn't pitch in a game this year. And Carson Wisenhunt, who missed this season with a PED suspension in East Carolina, his last start before the season, so his last like official start before the Cape this year, scouts were telling me he looked like Mike Miner, which gives you an idea of the age of the scout. <laughs> he was sitting two to five, touching seven. Breaking ball was a 55 or 60. Changeup might have been a 70. Strikes were pretty good, but like I think he'll dial it in. And then he just didn't pitch again until like three weeks ago. And so scouts are like, we just didn't get enough. Because last year he was like 90-93, kind of a pitchability guy. Right. Next to fireballer Gavin Williams. You just don't have enough. And you could argue Peyton Paulette, if he didn't blow out, uh, that he would have gone mid-first round, sort of a Walker Bueller, but maybe even a skinnier frame, similar kind of raw stuff. And Reggie Crawford also might have been like, he could have done the Dylan Tate, like, Reliever at Team USA goes and starts all spring and then turns into a dude dude when you let him start the whole spring. He also blew out didn't get to do it. So all that to say, it is the worst college pitcher draft in, I don't know, a long time, maybe as long as I've been doing this, 10, 15 years. But I think the talent actually isn't down. It was just a like a freak occurrence of injuries that I don't think will happen again. I mean, obviously, like TJ and throwing harder is like more of a thing now than it's ever been. But I think even this was a freak occurrence. And I think next year we'll have a, uh, a much a much happier list at the end of the guys that will actually get drafted. And uh, I guess go into Bowman Chrome and fantasy and all the. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just not, it's not a good group. And, and, you know, there are circumstances around it. How about Tidwell? Is that somebody who you think has a chance to be that best college arm? Just somebody I think that I've been asked about a little bit in as dynasty drafts are coming up, would he rank in that same group or a little bit behind? So for me, no. I saw him at the SEC tournament and had seen him last spring at Georgia. And for me, it was the swing and miss characteristics of the fastball are just okay. They're not great. The slider is plus when he nails it. It's been above average to plus for uh, you know well over a year now. The changeup this year got better. It was flashing plus. If you go watch his outing at Florida, I had a couple of scouting directors call me after that and say, hey, where do you have this guy? He's going to the top 10 picks if he does that again. And then mm. he didn't do it again. So on the right day, if he's like sitting 95, 98, like he will sometimes, you'll see three plus pitches and decent strikes. The strikes were not consistent. He missed time with his shoulder. He popped up super late out of high school. Like if he would have had a month, he might've gotten paid out of high school. And then he was pretty good, not fantastic last year. So it's just rocky enough. And it's a little more stuff over command, not necessarily the swing and the shape to it, that it's not my guy relative to what other people have. I'm rated 52nd. And I think he'll probably go comp to early second. Whereas okay. if it wasn't that where I have 40th, it's like, if he would have thrown like five times in the SEC, I think he would have gone 15 or 20. And I'm kind of, I might be kicking myself that I don't have him higher. Um, right. But, well, other people are higher on him than I, than I am. He's not necessarily my cup of tea. 
That's fair. That's very diplomatic of you. And I really appreciate your diplomatic answers on this You're podcast. Not being. I'm rooting for it. <laughs> Absolutely. Brooksley, a player that I think fantasy managers are going to be very interested in, especially if he is going to be a high pick. Spoiler alert, he's going to be a high pick. Uh, a guy who was a first round pick that didn't sign and then put up some very solid numbers in college. Solid is probably an understatement. I think people are really into Brooksley as a fantasy prospect in part because of the floor. How high of a ceiling does Brooksley have, Kylie? So, yes, high floor. He's going to move to third base, if not immediately after he signs, but, you know, pretty soon in his career. So you'll have the, yeah, and I guess in fantasy, like just between shortstop and third base is not very much. Uh, he was never going to be like a stolen base threat. I think it is, you could argue it's a 55 or 60 bat. There's a chance he's a, you know, 275, 280 hitter. He's always hit. And it's a good swing. I think he's more athletic in the batter's box than he is elsewhere, which is probably what you want. I think there's 50 to 55 game power. Call it like 15 to maybe 25 homers, depending on how exactly like the bat plays in games. I think uh, if you round the hit tool down and the pitch selection is a little better than I think, then you might be able to get as high as 25 homers. We've obviously seen with guys like Alex Bregman, uh, even recently, that have like a pretty long college track record. The, the bat and pitch selection, we'll call them tools, can sometimes affect the the power tool more than we think. So I think he's definitely in that discussion where like, you know, at the high end, it could be 280, 25 homers in third base. And you're like, all right, that's really exciting. You're like, or it could be like fringy third baseman that's like a corner utility guy that hits 270 with 15. And you're kind of always looking for somebody better, but he's the left-handed side of the platoon. So he's going to play a lot. Um, I think that's probably like the low end, like the 25 percentile outcome. So, you know, if he gets there in two, you know, two, two and a half years uh, and gives you like a bunch of ABs and is a good hitter, like that seems like a useful guy. But the reason he's not going to go in like the, you know, very likely not going to go in the top, you know, three or four picks. And the reason people aren't doing necessarily backflips like I was just doing over Drew and Tamar is because that ceiling is like a little bit limited. But also like there's scenarios where he's the best player in this draft. Like if the guys up top don't do what they're supposed to and he does sure. what I said the 75 percentile outcome was, it's like it's a pretty good player. I'm glad you brought up the defense. I, I wanted to ask you about this. This is not on your outline, but I'm going to ask you about it anyway. The shift. It's got, I think it's going to change some things. How do you think it's going to play and impact, maybe not on this draft, but in drafts going forward? How much is the fact that you're not going to have second baseman playing in that hole anymore? You, there was an article from Jason Stark about the, uh, the pie chart that is going to be tested out in the middle infield. Sounds this good. Is yeah, it does sound delicious, but no hot fruit. Keith Law will not be listening to this anyway. But uh, I'm actually Keith. getting a, uh, a a belated uh, birthday celebration, and I was told that there will be a, a a peach concoction of some sort in the in the pie family. I don't know if it's a collab or a, you know cobbler or whatever it is, but it'll it'll have hot fruit in it. So I'm going to send a picture to Keith. Okay, well I'll have a, a diet peach uh, snapple, and it will be uh, very similar in in that regard. But how much do you think the the shift will affect? especially how teams are scouting middle infielders going forward. So the guy that, that comes up most with this year is Sterling Thompson, who looked like he could have been a third baseman out of high school and then has only played the outfield at Florida. And then late, late, late in the season, like in the postseason, started playing second base and was like passable. He's like totally fine. I saw him in the SEC tournament, I think, for three games. I don't think that ball was hit to him the entire time. I was like, come on, guys. Like, just hit him some between. Hurt <laughs> him a little bit. But I've had some teams tell me, like, oh, we think he's fine. And, and then they'd kind of pause and be like, I mean, if we had the shift, he'd definitely be fine. And I'm like, oh, is he in the Michael Bush territory where it's like, oh, he can stand there. If we can have people stand real close to him, then he can play there. But, like, we can't have people stand real close to him, so it's not quite as good. So we might have to see if we can, you know, take a little time and see if we can expand it. But, like, sure. that kind of guy where it's like, you know, he's with the corner outfielders with, like, 
a little bit of a pitch selection problem, but he might play second base. Like that totally changes his market. And because of the shift situation, like it can't totally change his market. And Michael Bush, another example, like I don't think he's ever been better than like a 35 or 40 defensively at second base. Um, but now it's like, well, we can't put that guy there now. And we might right. have been able to before. Um, so I think those are the sort of the, the edge cases. Again, if JC Young um, uh, degrades defensively, I think he's fine, like a 45 or 50 at second and third. If he becomes a 40, like that'll become an issue for him. There's definitely some guy, and then obviously Jacob Berry, like maybe people thought they could hide him at second. Like now you're not gonna even gonna try that because it was, you know, not great at third, not great and right. It might be fine at first. Um, you know, some of those college bats I think it'll become an issue for, but it, I think I think those are the guys that will that will have the effect and it won't be giant. I think it'll be, you know, five to seven picks in most cases for like these first round picks. And then for guys later in the draft, maybe it's, you know, 20, 30 picks, maybe even full round for the guys where it's just like I know there's certain teams where if you turn him in and say, I think he's going to play in a corner that like some models just like move him down 20 picks immediately just because it's a corner guy. Wow. I mean, I, I think that'll be really, around, not the yeah. yeah, that'll be a really interesting thing, I think, to follow. I mean, it's going to be interesting to follow as players develop in the minor leagues as well, but just because of the, the drastic change that is about to happen, assuming it does. I mean, <laughs> I know they keep saying that these things we've seen baseball, um, say they are going to do things and then not end up doing things. I don't think that this is that scenario, but at the same time, I'm a little, just a smidgen skeptical about it taking place in 2023. I don't know why, but I'm just a smidgen skeptical. Yeah. I feel like there's been a lot of uh, chatter about things happening, like trading and picks in the draft. They just are like, yeah, we're going to table that for 10 years. Like, we'll get to it. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Animated by it to make it happen, but I'm like, I'm not sure who's animated by this. Can you give me a 20 second answer on why draft picks other than your allocated draft picks are not able to be traded? The way I was told it went down in this most recent CBA is neither side saw it as an issue they wanted to fight for. So nobody, okay. so nobody brought it up so that it never became an issue. <laughs> and then I've heard, oh, no, one, I think the union brought it up and it just sort of got batted down and then they never brought it up again. And I'm like, all right, Interesting. there's a slight variation on what I was told. But uh, I was also told that if the international draft happens, which I guess we'll find out in a week or two, there will be trading of picks as part of like the, you know, both sides have proposed a version of that. And mm-hmm. that will then become an on-ramp where if that goes pretty well, it will be domestic trading of picks in the next CBA. It'll be like sort of a pilot program, which is what I'm excited about because the ratings for the draft on ESPN go not through the roof. They go a lot higher if Jeff can be like, they traded a guy you've heard of for a pick. And they picked with it. A hundred percent. I really hope we get around. It seems so antiquated and uh, archaic to not be able to do it. I'm sure that they had... I mean, there was a purpose, I guess, in the uh, the days of yore when Kylie and I are both extremely young people, so we are, um, uh, you know, not as familiar with this stuff. But I really hope so. I'm I go on so many radio shows, and that's my little humble brag. And they ask me why don't we see very many trades, and it's when I have to say, well, it's because you can't. I, that makes the radio host feel really, really dumb, and I don't like doing that. I mean, yeah. it's just it's just it's not a lot. Yeah, I, I, that's, I do a shoulder shrug and they can't hear me and then they kick me off the radio. Kylie, put on your fantasy hat here for a second. By the way, this is kind of interesting. Kylie and I both once came up with the same fantasy name at the uh, same time for football leagues, being in different leagues and not knowing about it. We both named our team Do the Sankey Leg, uh, the year Bishop Sankey was a uh, rookie in that class, which still makes me laugh. That occurrence differently. 
which, which is I mentioned what it was, and you said, you stole that from me. Well, yeah, I was trying to be nice about it, is what I was trying to do, Kylie. But if we really want to talk about it, you absolutely stole that from would me. Would you have reacted to the Dane Cook, Louis C.K. thing? Like, am I just <laughs> engine, just ingesting everything, and I don't know where it came from? So, well, then you're net in this situation. I'm just telling you that right now. As far as it comes to my reporting at ESPN, that is not the case. <laughs> I'm a engine that knows exactly how everything got So put on that fantasy hat. Give me a potential fantasy sleeper from this draft class from people who are going to have drafts in a couple of weeks guys who maybe have a little bit more fantasy potential than they do what you would see on a real life list so first i'm gonna give you my track record because i think i got a winner for you last year uh yep. you went to my rankings and i called this out so it wasn't you didn't have to go look at everyone else's rankings and mock drafts and stuff to figure it out i said there's one guy that i've got like 10 picks ahead of where he's gonna go which i think he was actually like 14 picks before he went that I'm like, this is my pick to click. This is the guy I'm going to hang my hat on. Like, I feel totally fine with this. Everyone that told me, oh, move him down at your rankings. He's going to go later. I'm like, no, no, no. I like this guy. Don't tell me to move him down. It was Tyler Black at a right state. And I said, this guy's got all the markers you want. He's 20 on draft day, Canadian, played some hockey, mid-major, didn't have K for Team USA. Uh, swing is easily uh, adaptable to hitting for power. Uh, really good performance with really good eye and contact rates for three years. I'm just like, all right, this is ridiculous. Why are we trying to just wait for him to do a month on the Cape? He'd go 10 picks higher. We'll just take him there now. And I bet if you redid that draft, he'd go right about where I had him right now. And we're not going to talk about the other guys I had higher than everybody else because this is irrelevant. That one. <laughs> so this year, I went back into the, in the, discu- in the discussion where basically I spent the entire spring up until about three weeks ago trying to put everyone in the order that everyone else tells me to put them in. And then at the end, once I got all the information, then I put them in my order using all the information that's already been collected. Sure. Now, what I landed on, I'm a little surprised by this because I thought I was like Mr. Upside and like I just happened to stumble into Tyler Black where it's like, you know, this is a small second baseman. It's not like the sexiest upside guy. This year I landed on Drew Gilbert out of Tennessee because once again, he's dramatically improved his contact rate, his swing decisions, his exit velos, his max exit velos, his launch angle. Everything was better. He was a pitcher in high school. He's like a 70 makeup guy. He's like a five foot eight grinder that looks like, you know, like a love child between like Adam Eaton and Brett Gardner. And I'm like, all right, so like at this juncture of the draft, I've got him at 11th on my board. I'm like, at that juncture, all the top tier guys are gone. And we're trying to decide like what high school pitcher is going to be a mid rotation starter one day. (laughs) And I'm like, this guy's like a clone of Brett Gardner who gave us like six three win seasons. And he's going to be in the big leagues first out of all the position players and probably most of the starting pitchers. And at very least, he'll be a really good fourth outfielder that's like a good clubhouse presence and be a useful guy that everybody wants that immediately has trade value to all 30 teams because he'll be in double A next year. And I was like, how much more complicated is it than that? Like, just take the guy that's a good ball player that's going to get there that has some upside. Uh, and also, we've like seen, I think, the thing that I'm like zeroing in on. And also, like, he can, he's a plus runner. He's probably going to steal some bases. Like, I don't know. I think he's going to be better than everybody else and in ways that I guess are measurable. And then I noticed once I did that, there's two other guys that have like a lot of the same characteristics, and that would be Zach Neto, the uh, shortstop out of Campbell, and Jet Williams, the 5'8", uh, high school shortstop out of Texas, who are also both short-armed, lots of contact, good athlete, play an important position, all the stuff you want. That's like so similar to Gilbert that I ended up putting them uh, 12th and 14th behind Gilbert at 11. So those are your guys. Those are your three guys that I would guess Gilbert, like his overrunner where he gets picked, I have him 11th, is probably like 18th and a half. And... Zach Neto, I'm at 12. He actually might sneak in the top 10, but I bet his over-under is probably like 13 or 14. So I got him a little ahead of where he goes. And Jet Williams is probably more like 15, 16, 17 area. I have him 14. So Gilbert's the one who's the biggest gap where I think I disagree with people the most and also where he's going to get picked. But those three guys, I think 
I think we are still, even like post Jose Ramirez and Altuve and Mookie Betts and Pedroia and like all these short arm guys that hit home runs or Lindor wasn't supposed to hit for power and he did. Like I know I'm going on forever. We're still underrating these guys and it's still kind of ridiculous to me. The two drafts in a row, I just keep taking all the short guys. Speaking of, so I automatically, when I think of these type of guys, like the the underrated for fantasy purposes, it's the guys that, you know, put up the plus plus run times. Jordan Taylor, is this a guy that you think could have some fantasy relevance? I don't know. Okay. Is this a thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it, it, Jordan Taylor was a guy that I talked to a couple of people about who were pretty impressed with him as an athlete. Do you think that could be a potential fantasy upside player? If he does not get paid, he will turn down a lot of money. Uh, his yes. only negative, I think, is that he is almost 20 on draft day. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, 19.8 is like the only negative on there because he was a plus-to-plus-plus runner that made a ton of contact in Florida at events. So I'm last summer at that same event that I was referencing that I saw Drew and Tamar and all those guys. Uh, and I think there's a lot of interest in like the 700K to a million area, probably like third, fourth round overpay, I would think. But yeah, I would guess based on what I've heard that he probably signs. And yeah, he is a, a football background athlete, uh, certainly the speed to steal bases and speed to play center field. And again, does some of the same stuff I'm talking about with the guys I liked up in the first round. Interesting. Yeah, that's, I mean, those are the type of guys you, you've got to be looking at is those those guys who have a chance to steal bases. Now, it, it doesn't always work out, Like we've seen plenty of guys who can run, put up plus plus times like Christian Pache, who just end up never being stolen base guys. You see guys who weren't exactly, like Kyle Tucker was not a guy I think that people thought was going to be this huge stolen base threat. And he's been a, a guy who's used his acumen and maybe a little bit better speed than anticipated. I have to ask you an important question at the end because this is this is important for I uh, for the important question though. Uh, since you you uh, I think refined the idea of draft sleeper, I now have an even better answer for you. Please, I have noticed there are three eighty runners in the high school ranks that I think are all going to get paid or at least get offered a ton of money in the range that Jordan Taylor will. But they're all oh, eighty runners, and Jordan Taylor is right. like five or seventy. All right, yeah. so they are looking at my rankings. If you pull them up on, uh, on ESPN.com, you can see them at 112, 131, and 132. I kind of grouped them together because they're kind of similar. Uh, mm-hmm. We have Trevor Pollard out of uh, Georgia, Jarek Curtis out of Texas, and Greg Pace Jr. out of Michigan. I think they're all going to get offered well over $500,000 and maybe over a million. I bet at least one of them signs for over a million. And I would bet two out of the three probably sign. Those guys will may immediately, I mean, depending on the organization and the sort of leanings they have, have the chance to put up those 30, 40 stolen base seasons in the lower minors, which I would imagine gets people to perk up in these sorts of, you know, deep fantasy leagues and whatnot. How does a kid from Woodward Academy in Georgia commit to go play at Washington State? I have also asked that question and didn't get a satisfactory <laughs> answer. <laughs> I don't think where it's going to end up mattering, but that is. I, I can tell you, he didn't make it. So the event I keep referring to is East Coast Pro. He was not invited to East Coast Pro, and I asked, "Oh, like, how did this guy that might get a million dollars? How do you not get invited?" They're like, "He was really bad last year." Oh gosh! <laughs> and it's well, got a lot better, and, and he might—he actually of the three, he might be able to play shortstop. The other two are definitely center fielders, and he's probably a center fielder, but he might be able to play short, and his swing got a lot better. All three of those guys were like, I think, would have gotten less than 500k if the draft was last summer. Obviously, they were a lot younger, too, but they just weren't really dudes. And this spring, all three of them kind of came to the forefront. Yeah, Woodward Academy commitment, Washington State, is very weird. So last week, I had David Roth on to talk about the draft. And it was a conversation that had nothing to do with those players because I think David was the first to admit he doesn't care about the draft at all. But what he does like is funny names. So Ooh, yes, I, 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 I have to ask you. Send to the dog, but I'm listening. 
Okay. The first pick in the draft was Jaden New. The second pick in the draft was Cutter Coffee. Who had the better first pick? Uh, for sorry, I was reenacting one of the Windhorse. Uh, <laughs> <names there. laughs> the dog does this annoying thing where she'll drop it and then drop her toy on the ground and then look at me and wait for me to pick it up. And I was like, no, you pick it up. And then she just kept staring at me. I was like, I you never have to apologize for dog stuff, my man. Uh, I think for like funny name purposes, like just in general outside of baseball, I'd give you Jaden Newt because that's pretty weird. But like for baseball, you have to go with Cutter Coffee. It's like too baseball specific funny. <laughs> Thank you very much. That was my pick. I will say that my picks for the draft were Cutter Coffee, Eli Jerzenbeck, and I took Eric Snow because of a personal thing about that he was a backup point guard for the Sonics um, when I was. Uh, I, mean, I found out about him in like March, and some people were like, hold on, this guy? And they all obviously went to Google image search and then sent me the photo of the point guard. I'm like, everyone knows the point guard, and very few people know the point guard. <laughs> yeah. So we also had the conversation that. Um, Eric Snow might have been the worst point guard for today's NBA of all time because he can't make a shot outside of eight feet. And in today's NBA, you have to be somebody who can actually shoot the basketball. And then we started talking about Khalid Alamine and a bunch of other backup point guards. It's always fun I'll, to have. I'm just flicking through my uh, rankings to see if there's somebody who jumps out. Mm. Uh, two that come to mind would be Orion Kirkering. That was my third pick. Oh, all right. Yep. And then the other one, this seems like a little too on the nose. It might be a little too bro-y for me. Maybe maybe this could go on like a Barstool podcast. Uh, Zach Crotchfeld. And we talked about how we didn't take about Zach Crotchfeld at the very end. David, the nose, right? David didn't know that we weren't going to um, be switching that. The other one, I was going to take Nazir Mule, but that Actually felt... Mule. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? That's why I didn't take him is because I wasn't 100% now. It's just because, uh, because as I scroll down, a couple more. A guy I found out about recently as well, uh, Gary Gill Hill. It's a hyphenated <laughs> last name, Gary Gill Hill. That's really good. Like, That's... like it offered 750 out of high school. I think he's probably going to go to Wake Forest, but like, yeah, he's a real guy. Uh, look him up on Twitter. Like, the video is very good. Thank and you. Another one I found out about recently in Nogales High School in Arizona, Demetrio Crisantes. Oh, that's real good. That's got to be a guy that you take. Kansas City has got to be, you know, it's not so much the the Franco Mazzucato or the the Vinny Pascatino, but there's there's kind of that type of you know feel to it a little bit, I think. More from the bottom here, I got AJ Blueblaw out of uh, Wisconsin, Milwaukee, and then hey, now. Uh, Witherspoon uh, out, of, out of high school in Florida, who had some third round buzz early in the spring, but then kind of killed off late. Also, David wanted to say that he was very happy that there was another Susac in this draft because he is just a little bit obsessed with former giant backup catcher Andrew Susak. The catchers in this trap, by the way, uh, and we'll we'll end it on this one, it seems like it's a pretty good class. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and if you like Susak adjacent names, we've also got a Steven Zoback. It seems like that's <laughs> in the area. Susak and Zoback. I, uh, they've cleared my asbestos case real quick-like, but I would assume... The I would catching, assume... Sorry, I ignored your question. What was the catching yeah. question? <laughs> it's good. Kevin Parada, top of that list. Yeah. The, I, my, my question going into the summer was uh, Team USA had four catchers. They normally have three, College Team USA. And they had Parada, Susak, Logan Tanner out of Mississippi State, and Hayden Dunhurst out of Ole Miss. And even at the end of that event, like all of them hit poorly because they were facing that like Scott Casimir, Simeon Wood, Wood Richardson, Shane Boz Team USA team that was going to the Olympics. And like none of them could hit anything. <laughs> so they all went like over 12 and 13 strikeouts somehow. Sure. But at the end of that, I was like, oh, I thought Parada was clearly the best. And I thought maybe Susak would be second, but I wasn't sure. And at the end of that, I was like, I still don't know who's best. 
Mm. Uh, which I think may speak to that Logan Tanner and Hayden Dunhurst, who I think probably go in the third or fourth round, might be a little underrated because they look almost as good as those guys with summer when everybody looked bad. Sure. And of course, you've got, I think, a classic, uh, Jimmy Crooks Corn um, is also in the, the late second, early third. I was just going to bring up Jimmy Crooks, which is such a good mafia name. Like, that's the, the autofill type of thing. Where I like, you... when, when there's like a like a, like a a mob boss and a bunch of guys get, uh, get uh, taken in and they put some of the nicknames in the story, Sure. The names get really on the nose because I think the media wants the on the nose names sure. like Johnny Crimes or whatever. And I'm like, yeah. I guess someone's named Jimmy Crooks right now. <laughs> There's gotta be. Kylie, this was fun. Please promote all of the good stuff that you are doing and are about to do. So ESPN.com slash MLB. If I do a really good job, I get on the front page of ESPN. It doesn't happen that much. I think the mock draft that comes up Friday that I'm actually going to finish tonight, I think that'll actually get on there. So in that case, just go to ESPN.com. But go to the MLB page, and there's a there's a draft little like portal like land page thing. It's got all the various mock drafts and rankings and team reviews and all the various stuff you, you want to see. And then Sunday, 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 Sunday. Eastern on ESPN, we will be broadcasting the draft, and I'm going to try to tell you who's going to be good. And I'll just say I'm pulling some strings. I want to reenact the Trev Alberts Mel Kiper thing. Find <laughs> a pick where I think it's a bad pick, and then we'll get the GM to come on and we'll get a shouting match go like first take style. Oh, I look forward to that very much. But I don't think it's uh, gonna happen. I'm not sure we can get any GMs to come on the show right after their pick. And if they do, it's probably just gonna be like one softball and I'm out. Everybody's like, hold on, if I got some hot takes, I want to yell at somebody. <laughs> real, real quick, how happy are you that the futures game and the MLB draft are not on the same day? Very happy. However, uh, you may wonder what time the rehearsal is for the draft on Sunday because the draft on Sunday is at four uh, Pacific, like four sure. time, and so they want to test the lighting and oh. the rehearsal on Saturday at the same time. Saturday at four o'clock. You want to guess what time <laughs> the Futures game starts? <laughs> Saturday at, uh, right, at uh, oh, okay, yeah, that's uh, so. That like, sounds- there at some point, I hope it's in the first couple of innings, but like, it might be a later. <laughs> well, if not, you get to watch some of it on Peacock, everyone's favorite. Oh, is that what's on? Service, yes, sir. It oh, is on Peacock. Cool. So I, uh, I was reading be- the MLB Network and I couldn't pull it up on my phone. Yeah, that's what it'll be. It'll be on Peacock. It'll be a lot of fun everyone will have a good time thanks everybody for joining us kylie can be followed on twitter at kylie mcd and you can follow me yeah that's okay at crawford underscore milb if you enjoy what you're hearing please like rate subscribe all of that good stuff thanks again for listening we will see you guys uh, pretty soon Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.